Hey there, math moment makers. Kyle and John here. We are starting this episode off a little bit differently, and actually we are completely reshuffling our episode order as we attempt to honor the lives of George Floyd, Regis Korczynski-Paquette, Ahmed Arbery, and many other black lives that have been taken too soon and all in the name of racism. We thought about not releasing an episode this week because two white guys who love teaching math really have no business speaking about these horrible events that have taken place recently and unfortunately take place consistently due to the state of systemic racism and oppression that the black community lives with and in each and every single day. However, we knew that staying silent doesn't help. It might be a sign of not being a racist, but it certainly doesn't help us share what we need to be, which is anti-racist. So rather than staying silent this week, we thought it would be better to take this opportunity to amplify the voices of those who we, the white community, can listen and learn from. Today, we're going to go straight into our episode so we can talk less and listen more. Today, we're going to listen and learn from Hema Kadai, an educator who lives relatively close to Kyle and I in Mississauga, Ontario. Hema is a high school math teacher turned instructional resource teacher. We speak with Hema today about who are mathematicians, how relationships help build or wreck a student's ability to identify as mathematicians, why it's so important that we educators know our why and how math has to be a community endeavor. We are excited to share Hema's voice with the Math Moment Maker community. Here we go. Hey there, Hema. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show today in this kind of quarantine era. How are you doing with the pandemic and everything? I'm really excited to be here talking to the two of you today. It's sort of the most normal thing I've done in a while. And it's the most connection I've had to my math community in a while with all the conferences being canceled. So this is just a really great opportunity to check back in with my passions and my community and help ground me a little bit in this ever-changing scenario of the global pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know for myself, and I think John can relate as well, not having travel time to work. And I'm trying to look at some of the bright side of things. It's definitely harder, I find, to stay focused. I have two young children. John has three children at home. So trying to balance all of those things is definitely a challenge, but there are definitely some benefits as well, saving that travel time and I feel like I'm running my lifestyle in less of a rush. So I'm going to look at those as positives. But you know what, Hema, let's dive in here. Our listeners are wondering and they want to know a little bit more about yourself. I'm sure there are many who are listening in who may have been a part of our virtual summit and they may recognize your name from that as well as your session, which we're going to talk about today. But for those who may not be as familiar with Hema, what is your story? Where are you located? And how did you get into this teaching gig? So I'm Hema Kadai. I am a high school teacher in the Peel region. I work and live on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the first of the New Credit First Nations. And I have been teaching for about 12 years. And the last two years, I'm in an instructional resource teacher role supporting K-12 math education. So that's sort of the professional aspect. 
how did I get into teaching? I don't really remember. It just, it's always been about wanting to work with children. And my earliest memory of wanting to work with children was I wanted to be a pediatrician and help them feel better and take care of them. So it's sort of those very early urges of really wanting to connect with children. And then, you know, you discover blood and it's like, no, I don't want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) If you're anything like me, I hit the floor when I see the blood. So I'm just, you know, teaching it is for helping other people. (laughs) (laughs) I know there was also blood in those situations. (laughs) It can be, it can be. I teach high school, so it's really the math moments. And I know you're going to ask about that, so I'm just going to start talking about it. It's those memorable math moments that just click along the way. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in second year of university applying for a consecutive, sorry, not consecutive, a concurrent education program. And it was the pre-service experiences that just really consolidated that I wanted to be not just in teaching, but teaching mathematics specifically. That last comment there really hits home for me too. It's, you know, I come from a family of teachers, so I had known that kind of lifestyle. I had known what that job could look like. And I thought I might want to go into teaching and I wasn't sure. And I changed my mind. And it wasn't until, like you just said, some of the pre-service experiences, and it wasn't actually even before that for me, that I had a co-op job actually pretty close to where you live, just outside of uh, Mississauga and in Waterloo. In, in that co-op job, I tutored math for college kids, and it was the one-on-one interaction with kids and learning and specifically about math that really solidified that decision for me, kind of like what you'd said about solidifying those interactions are what kind of sold you on it. And it sold me on it because I, you know, my dad was a math teacher and very traditional math teacher my dad is. And I was like, I don't know if I wanted to go into that, but it was really those interactions with kids and learning that changed my direction to focus on that. And for me in university was you had to apply into that program after a few years in university. That made me switch into those gears with totally, uh, I totally understand. I'm wondering if we can get a little background into, you kind of mentioned that kind of a memorable math moment, but I'm wondering as a student before that, did you have any sort of memorable math moments when you were younger? When we say math class, I know that stuff pops into my mind about when I was a student and a kid and experiencing math for some of the first times. Could you tell us about one of those? Yes, absolutely. I've got this huge smile on my face because it's such a vivid memory for me. It's sort of a cold, wintry day, and I'm in the back of the car. My family is driving home after having visited with family, and I can feel my finger on the window in the condensation drawing out fractions. I must have been maybe 9 or 10, you know, grade 4, grade 5. And I was just so excited about fractions. It annoyed everybody around me because all I wanted to do was show them pictures of fractions and show them what they could do with fractions. And it was my sort of first moment of real curiosity about math. It wasn't just adding numbers or sorting numbers, ordering them. It was something new. It was something that I hadn't thought about before. And it was, now I have a name for it, it was play. But in the moment, it was a total spark, and I was so curious about it. But then that evolved into my next real big moment that, again, I can remember vividly, is not a moment of curiosity. It's a moment of resistance. 
And it was grade nine advanced math class in the basement of a hundred year old building <laughs> with a teacher who wrote in my report card that I talked too much. <laughs> you were a social butterfly. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the descriptive feedback you had received. Yes, I Talk talked too, too much, much in math class. And so, There's of course, no talking in math class. <laughs> yes, absolutely none. Please don't. Cease and desist right away. Right. And so, I brought the support card home to my dad, and I thought, oh, this is so embarrassing. Like, my spotless record, here it goes in grade nine math. And I remember my dad just reading the comment. And he had this sort of proud look on his face. And he said, so when exactly is it that you're doing all this talking? And who is it with? That meant a lot because he normalized that it's okay to talk in math class. And he normalized that it's good to talk to other kids about math and that we were learning through talk. And that long before I knew the term mathematical discourse, that that was a thing and that it was a necessary thing for my learning and for the learning that my peers were engaging in. So that's sort of my moment of resistance, where I was like, you cannot make me be quiet in math class. It's not going to happen. Well, you know, what I really like about your moments that you're sharing with us is there's kind of a little bit of both sides of the coin there, you know, and sometimes uh, people come in and they either have like a really positive experience and oftentimes that positive experience has sort of driven them to carry on and do the things that they're doing in math education. And then there's also some people that come in with sort of that negative memory and maybe in spite of that negative memory, it's like they're going to go and do good things in math education. And you found a way to look at and see that there were positive moments for all of us and there were maybe even some not so positive moments for all of us. And the part that I think is really interesting is being able to reflect on that learning of fractions at a pretty young age. And maybe back then you didn't know that it was play, that curiosity, that interest in how things work. But there is something in us that just drives us to want to keep exploring and trying to hang on to that, I think, is so important. And then on the flip side, taking your grade nine experience and being able to reflect on that and think that, of course, there are times when we need to be active listeners in a math classroom. However, that isn't for 100 percent of the time. We need kids to be interacting with one another and constructing their learning together. So I really like your moment that you've shared with us in the Math Moment Maker community. And I've got to assume that your experiences have led you down this path for education, for math education in particular. And we want to shift our talk here to something particular from our virtual summit, which was your presentation titled, Who is a Mathematician? And we were really excited to have you as a part of the Virtual Math Summit. But now also to be able to bring you into the audio format so that we can unpack some of the big ideas of your talk. So I'm wondering for those listening and who did not have the opportunity to dive in last November, what would be your elevator pitch for who is a mathematician? What would be your synopsis, your snapshot of the talk? So I'm really feeling like November was an entire lifetime ago. And <laughs> which it basically was, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's a whole different era. And so I think my thoughts on who is a mathematician have grown a bit. And my very quick synopsis would be 
anyone who wants to be can be a mathematician given the right supports, resources, and folks to believe in them. So true. So true. And I'll admit that listeners of this podcast know that me being a very traditional teacher used to not take into those considerations about mathematicians. It was like I was the teacher that was probably just like my dad, who was a teacher, who probably was just like all my teachers, that there were math people and there were not math people. And if you weren't, you weren't and you could never be one. And if you were late to class, I gave you heck for it. And I didn't even care about the reason, because if you were going to be a good student, you needed to be there on time. And if you missed class, I would even give you heck when you came back. And and when I look back on that self of mine, like I taught like that for a number of years and I want to shake that teacher of mine that you're giving kids heck for being late, but you don't know the reason and you're not thinking about the supports that they had or need or to be successful in those classes. I'm not thinking about kids. That's when I reflect on myself. I didn't think about the kids themselves. I thought about math, you know, and I was there to talk about how to learn math and it was really procedural math. So I really enjoyed your session and I know a lot of teachers did. We got a lot of comments on your session and there was a lot of chatter on Twitter and you made that evident in your session about tagging you and keeping the conversation going. So we really appreciated that part of your session. And and I'm wondering if we dive into the little pieces of the session, like you talked about building those relationships And if we think specifically about that, like I wasn't doing that as a teacher. And I know there are some teachers out there that are still not doing that. And how do we help build those relationships? And how do those relationships like build students' identity to math? But also how do those relationships wreck students' identity to math, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. I just want to say how much I appreciate you very authentically articulating what I think a lot of teachers have lived, which is... This is what my structures were growing up and learning math. And this is what I replicated for, I would say, almost the first decade of my career. And as I'm listening to you, I'm reflecting on my own moments. I identified the math moment that was memorable in terms of curiosity in grade three and resistance in grade nine. And that real moment of power in pre-service when I had a grade seven student just He was in tears with gratitude that I had stopped mid-lesson to answer his question. But somewhere along the way, those moments of curiosity and power fell to the wayside. And I adopted all the structures that were just in place, sort of very uncritically. And it hasn't been until the last two years that I'm resurfacing those memories and saying, what happened to that? What happened to that really powerful experience And why am I not creating that for the children in my classrooms? Why has my relationship with math teaching taken precedence over our relationship as a mathematical community of learners? Like where along the way did I just get swept up with understanding curriculum, meeting curriculum expectations, this whole notion of classroom management, I hate that term because it's not about relationships and I'm not a manager if I am only focused on classroom management. So I have engaged in some really, really oppressive practices and that's hard to sit with. That is very, very uncomfortable to say out loud. But it's this idea of, is it really about the kids? When has it really been about the kids? How do I make it about the kids? You bring up so many thoughts in my mind about so many of the struggles we have in education in general, but also particularly in mathematics around access and equity. 
it's so easy for us as humans to just walk into how things have always happened and not to be reflective on them. And I know I am definitely guilty of it. And I know John and I, we've said it on previous episodes that that's a huge area of reflection for both of us that we're trying to be much more aware of the things we do daily in the math classroom, outside the math classroom that we have just always done and have never thought about. And it hasn't impacted us personally. And that is something that I think will be a continuous growth area for us and for everyone out there to be aware of these things. And when we come into a math classroom as a pre-service teacher, going back to your pre-service story and John's reflection on the pre-service experience he had, where you're coming in and you're just trying to do a good job. And I'm using those quotation marks because we don't know what a good job looks like back then. We're trying to emulate what we're seeing. And oftentimes that perpetuates some not great things because we're not reflecting on them. We're not thinking critically about them. So I think this flows into a next part of your session that I'm really curious about because you really emphasize this idea of educators knowing our why and what is a why. And when I watched that portion of your presentation, I couldn't help but remember the Simon Sinek book, Know Your Why, or Start With Why, I think it is, I should say. I think I just butchered the title. And it is so important because of these ideas that you're sharing. So help us understand, why do you see knowing our why as teachers as being so important? I think it kind of tracks back to, I think it was John's comment about we started teaching sort of for the love of math. And when the discipline is centered over the students being centered, that is a very different praxis. So when we talk about culturally responsive pedagogy, we talk about equity, we talk about access, it's not to the discipline and materials and resources necessarily. It's access to someone who believes in your ability to learn and grow. The mathematical identity piece for me it is secondary to that. I have to believe in your whole humanity as an entire being that is exactly what it needs to be. Because otherwise, it's very easy for me to impose on a student their family, their community, deficit mindsets about why they are not learning as I wish for them to learn, as I want them to learn, as I have structured their learning to be. It is really not responsive at all. So I think it is very critical to be able to articulate your why, but also to revisit it very often. My why has changed, I don't know, within the day sometimes from in this moment, I just need to get you ready for this unit test to wait, everybody catch a breath, including myself. Why are we here? What's the big picture? And sort of just really disrupting the structures that we've inherited and the systems that we've inherited. And Kyle, to what you were saying, that sort of disruption takes an admission of power, but it also takes huge energy to constantly and continually look for what's not working in terms of what is not building our students up, what are oppressive practices, and not just identify it, but then the mental work 
of problem solving creatively within the structures that we've inherited. So if you don't have a very clear why as to what, you know, you do the work that you do with other people's children, I think the chances of causing harm are very real. Totally. When you make these comments, I see a lot of parallels. We talk all the time about lesson planning and, and lesson design. And we talk about, you know, you need to know, or before I start with that, lots of teachers will ask Kyle and I in our forums, in the academy, and also online, they're saying like, how do you pick which resources the best to use in this lesson? Or, And we always resort back to saying like, well, what is the learning goal that you want to give to your students? And so we talk about that. And that's a parallel to like the, knowing your why as a teacher, because not only do you want to know what learning goal for that day, but if you can't articulate what you value in education and what are your goals and what are the things that kind of define you as a teacher? What are the things that you want to instill in your students? Like we have to ask ourselves those bigger questions so that then when you go to the learning goal, you can articulate the learning goal, but also build in the things that you really value in teaching mathematics and learning mathematics. And it comes down to not only the things you value about the students themselves and how they learn, but also like what are the structures that you want to put into place to allow students the access to learn and the ability to engage with you and their peers. And there's so much to think about when you think about math education in, in some people to say math is math. We're just going to teach math. What else is there to think about? Like you just show them how to do stuff. And, and there is so much more to think about in terms of math education. And I think you've really nailed it to think, to say like, what is your why? What is it that you really want to show to the students? Because they're going to know, like soon as you walk into that door and you start talking and, and you start your math lesson on day one, they're going to know what your why is because they're going to read that. And if they don't think it's about them, then you've lost them right off the bat. That's a perfect point right there. If your why isn't student-centered, for example, if your why is, I really want you to understand polynomial functions. There's another why behind that. <laughs> why right. on earth yeah. do you want me to really understand polynomial functions? Because they're the best. <laughs> I would take that. I really would. <laughs> right? But it's that depth to, hey, you know, like Kyle has this huge passion for them. That engages me. That sparks the curiosity. And we've all had those moments. You know, I've had classes just looking at me like, miss, why are you so excited about this? I'm like, guys, just bear with me. This is so much fun. But they will. They will totally bear with you because they know you are geeking out about it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to know why are you doing it? What is it you're trying to transfer to them in terms of, is it play? Is it joy? Is it just a spirit of adventure and trying something mathematical? It's also about community. And that theme came up in your presentation. And also, it reminded me of the blog post you wrote on your blog, It Takes a Community. And you wrote a specific phrase that I highlighted and pointed out I wanted to chat with you about. And you wrote that, how can a fractured educator, so this is kind of relating back to the why, like if you don't know your why, you're not, say, whole yet. But you wrote, how can a fractured educator teach a whole student? I wonder if you can elaborate on that phrase for us here on the podcast. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. 
Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. The first time I said that phrase out loud, it sort of startled me because it was the first time that I was admitting out loud that I didn't feel that my whole self was welcomed in educational spaces. And that had me thinking about if there are parts of my identity, my story that I don't consider, that doesn't mean that those parts aren't influencing my why, that they are not influencing the decisions I make in my day-to-day interaction with students, in how I develop relationships with them, in how I support their mathematical identity and their mathematical agency. They sort of become vulnerable spots that don't get addressed. So I think when there are practices in our teaching or our learning that don't sit right with us, it's because there are parts of our identity that we haven't really grappled with. I'm going to make a connection to COVID here. When I was a child, we had to leave my homeland because of a civil war. And we lived in refugee camps, not for a very long time. I don't remember them all that well. But it made me think that my formal education was disrupted. It was interrupted. There are gaps in it. But I had never thought of that before in my own teaching. I have never leveraged the strength of that experience to connect to students who are currently living that situation. So when we pick pieces of our identity, as opposed to considering ourselves as whole educators, we only see pieces of our students and we don't accept them for their whole selves. And then it's easy to say things like, well, I teach math. It doesn't matter why the student is late. It doesn't matter why they missed my very important unit test. And that's where relationships break apart. And that's where we lose students to they don't feel part of the community. They don't feel cared for. There is no opportunity to restore them back into the community. And that's very, very damaging to emerging mathematical identities. Something that just resonated with me is just this idea that I'm picturing constantly thinking through my own perspective. And for many years, I don't know if they ever were a part of the community. So when we say, you know, when we lose a student, we use that term so often. How, how many times lose student? We never found that student, right. right? And I think that is such a, to me, a big takeaway from this conversation. John and I are always saying how selfish we are doing these podcasts because we get the most learning, we believe, being able to engage with so many different people in math education and hearing different perspectives and really 
having us think about the questioning and then where the conversation goes. And for me, that's a big one. And I know that I definitely was a fractured educator for many years. I don't know if I knew I was searching for that why. I think I was trying to search for how to be a good math teacher. That's the job I picked. I loved kids, so I knew these things. But that's like such a high, like that's 5,000 feet, right? Or 30,000 feet from the ground. That's very high level thinking, right? I care about kids and I want them to be successful in math for there's some obvious reasons why, but getting closer to surface level, I think is so important. And I bet you those at home are having a very similar sort of self-reflection right now. So I'm wondering, do you have any maybe suggestions, I hate the word advice, but maybe things for people to think about from the Math Moment Maker community to help them put those pieces together. I think we'll never be fully whole. If you think you have all the pieces together, then I think that's when reflection stops and growth stops. So how do you help people find more of those pieces to make themselves more whole and less fractured as math educators? I think I can offer my own reflections, not anywhere near where I can offer advice. (laughs) But my reflections on this, it's exactly what you said, Kyle. It's there's something in you that keeps you striving. And the striving could be a very technical aspect of your identity as an educator. You know, how do you do this one thing better? Or it could be a very sort of holistic striving. Why have I not yet created community with this particular student or this group of students? Are there communities that I don't hold space for in my teaching? And these are big questions, and they're not meant to be answered sort of on the fly with checklists, but it's this continual striving for how do I serve children? Whose children do I serve? How do I serve them? Where can I do more? And it's not meant to be in a monologue either, right? It's got to be a dialogue. At some point, you have to have the fortitude to ask your students how well you've served them and invite that feedback. And the one piece we haven't talked at all about yet is the partnership with parents and caregivers and communities, do they see you as a part of their community? And I think that's critical. That's critical to develop before you can say, I have served children. I have taught them math. I have grown little mathematicians. I did that. It doesn't get done alone. Yeah, that's so true. And these are big questions. These are really important questions to ask yourself about your teaching and Putting those pieces together, I think we should all reflect on these things. And I reflect for sure in this time, like right now, this is an important time to do that too. And just because we're not in class right now with our students doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about these questions while we're interacting online or how you're choosing to interact with your students. I think it is super important to do that. Think about these questions now. We've talked about in our live Q&A sessions, 
with teachers about, you know, how do I teach online? And we've been saying the first thing you need to do is almost think you have to rebuild the community you had in your classroom. And you can't do that. Like you just said, you can't do that, especially now without thinking about parents, without thinking about the community that is around them, because that's where they are. That's who they're relying on right now. And we have to make sure that we're reaching out to the groups, the families, so that We can understand what our students are going through because right now you probably don't and I don't unless I talk to my kids and establish that relationship again. It's almost like it's even if you had a great relationship beforehand, I think you're going to have to go, hey, I have to establish this because this is a whole new situation right now. And I think thinking about that, almost going back to this is day one, like we're starting this school year over again. Because the kids aren't used to this. And I think you've given us some really great tips to think about for not only knowing your why, but knowing who we're working with on a daily basis and why that's important and why that's going to be important for math education. So uh, we definitely thank you for that. I think those are some really great tips. Just having that awareness, these things that you've given us is super important for educators. And I hope everyone listening here is taking this to heart because I think that awareness is going to help you. There's no wrong way to, I think, to do it as long as you know of what you should be looking for. And I think you've provided that here for us, Hema. Looking at the time here, we're going to start to wrap up. But Hema, usually what we ask our guests near the end of the episode is where they can learn more about you, how they can, say, get a hold of you if you wanted them to, where they could learn more about what you've written. Would you mind sharing a little bit of that, about that, uh, your contact info? Like, don't give us your phone number or anything. But, uh, <laughs> unless you want unless to. You, unless you unless want you're, to like, ready for calls. <laughs> Social distancing is in full effect and people want to chat. So it's fine. <laughs> I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> My handle is at hkadai, K-H-O-D-A-I. I do have a website where I blog very sporadically, and it's hamakadai.com. Well, Hema, we have had a pleasure being able to have this conversation with you. John and I have invited many different guests on. We've seen some presentations live or we've seen them digitally, like we've seen your presentation at the virtual summit digitally. And every time we bring people on, you would think that we had already know the story, but we never do. We always feel like we're walking away with something new. So thank you so much for giving us those nuggets and the Math Moment Maker community, all of that wonderful, wonderful thinking for them to reflect on. We want to wish you a fantastic day. It's a Wednesday as we record this. Be safe, stay safe and uh, healthy with your family. And we hope to uh, see you at an upcoming either live or digital math event sometime soon. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been my pleasure to unpack sort of a lot of my own experience and memories with you. And you've helped me remember some things that have sort of whiskered away and you've brought them back to the forefront for me. So I appreciate that. I appreciate what you do for this community. You've also brought back those memories for us and made us think. So uh, thank you for that. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day and your time before we get back to the classroom. Take care. We want to thank Hema again for spending some time with us to share her ideas and insights with us and you, the Math Moment Maker community. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 80. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 80. Thanks for listening. We look forward to learning with you again next week. 
if you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully design goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.